All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you on this Lord's Day. I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I'll be like, I'd like to share with you a message today from 1 Thessalonians 3 and 4 entitled Perfecting Faith. Perfecting Faith. Today I'm going to begin reading at verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I know it will probably be shared in the announcements, but there's a memorial service tonight before our evening service. It'll be at 5 o'clock in honor of Faith and Hope Colby. So we'll be joining together here for that. Invite all of you for that memorial service um, right there before our evening service. And then during our evening service, we're going to conclude the reading of the book of Genesis tonight. So we've been uh, working our way all the way through that book, the and uh, we'll conclude that tonight. That'll be the, the primary part of our service is just the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> All right, so we're here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'll start at verse 9. If you found that this morning, would you say amen? amen? All right, I'll read aloud from God's Word if you'd follow along in your copy. This is the Word of the Lord, beginning at verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For, in verse 7, God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has given, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. May the Lord's blessings be upon his word this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we hear the preaching of the word today. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. 
knowing, Father, that You, through Jesus Christ, have redeemed us, not with corruptible things like silver or gold, from our aimless conduct that we received by tradition from our fathers. But, Lord, You have redeemed us with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And He, Lord, was foreordained before the foundation of the world. I thank You, Father, that through Jesus Christ, those who believe in Him are given faith and hope in God. And I thank You, Father, that through the Gospel, for those who have obeyed that truth, You have purified our souls. We come, Lord, in this hope, this truth of Jesus. And, Father, I pray today for all of us who are here present, for all of our members who could not be here today, and maybe, Lord, for those who are uh, homebound and are not able to get out to church, I pray, Father, that Your Word as it goes out today would have a sanctifying effect in all of our lives so that our faith would be perfected a little more because of what we hear from You today. So we receive Your Word, Lord, today, as it is in truth, the Word of God. In Jesus' name, Amen. First Thessalonians. <clears throat> Are there any perfectionists here today? Just, you know, a perfectionist is a person who's not satisfied until whatever they're working on has uh, been uh, taken to the furthest extent has uh, been uh, every I dotted and every T crossed. It could be any variety of things from a new recipe in the kitchen to cutting the lawn or grass outside to cleaning a vehicle to uh, completing a uh, school assignment. Perfectionists have to see things all the way through. And really what we will see in this is that God is a perfectionist. God is perfect, and God intends to perfect our faith. The Apostle Paul uh, had here in mind a perfecting of the faith for the Thessalonians. As you look back there at verse 9, he gives thanks uh, to God for them. He renders thanks to God. And he, and for all the joy that he receives from the Thessalonians because of their faithfulness. In verse 10, we see that it's night and day praying exceedingly. What's he praying for? You see it in verse 10. He wants to see them again. He wants to see your face. And then uh, he wants to take part in perfecting what is lacking in their faith. It is... Uh, <clears throat> A truth that stood out to me in this is that even though this church there in Thessalonica were, uh, they were a faithful church. They were a, a church, you guys remember back over in chapter 1, verse 3, that um, Paul remembered without ceasing their work of faith, their labor of, anybody remember their labor of love, and then their patience of hope. That's right. He remembered all of that in them and was thankful for it, but, but that did not mean that he did not expect them 
to continue to progress. He did not think they had already arrived because he says right here in chapter 3, verse 10, that he wants to see them and that he might perfect or have a part in perfecting what is lacking in your faith. So he knew that they still had a ways to go. Uh, The word perfect there is a word that means to make adequate, to furnish completely, to make sufficient. It's found in other places. Actually, one of them we read this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, where he said that you may be perfectly joined together. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 10, 13, 11, he uh, hoped for the Corinthians that they would be complete. The word complete there is the word perfect that we see here in 1 Thessalonians. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, the word is used and translated restore, where he says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. In Hebrews 13, 21, uh, the author said um, to, in a prayer for the Hebrews that, that God would make you complete in every good work to do His will. It's that same word. And then in 1 Peter 5, verse 10, at the end of that letter, Peter writes to them, he says, after you have suffered a while, that, that God would, that Christ would, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So it's that idea of reaching a place of completion, being completely furnished, being perfect. And Paul's seeking that for the Thessalonians. Now, as we kind of work through this, I want to note for you a couple of things. I'm tying together this perfecting faith of verse 10 to two aspects of the rest that we read today. The first part is found in verse 13 of chapter 3. If everybody would look at that, it says, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness, before our God. That's going to bring us to our first point that I'm actually not going to yet because I got to show you the second part, but it's going to be a final holiness. See, that perfecting faith is a faith that is resulting in a final holiness one day. All right. So Paul has a goal in mind for their faith being made complete. And then the next part, if you'll look down at chapter four, verse seven, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. So here we're going to see a gradual holiness. That perfecting faith is, in essence, a gradual holiness that we are growing in. So that's where we're going here as we look at this. So we'll look at point number one, final holiness. And this is seen in a prayer here. Really, we have one prayer with three requests. One prayer with three requests in verse 11. The first request is found here in verse 11 where he says, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. So the first thing is unity. He wants to be united with them. It's a unity is a state of being united or joined as a whole. Now, if, as you check this out, I'm told by people who know a lot more than I do that the God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ is a is a third person singular compound subject. Third person singular compound subject. In other words, the verb that follows this is singular. 
So it's like showing the unity, the oneness of the Father and the Son. Our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ. A singular unit here will be, Paul is praying, direct our way to you. He wanted to see them. He wanted to see them very badly. We saw that already. And what we've read in verse 10. But if you look back at chapter 2, verse 17, uh, here he, he, he says he endeavored more and more eagerly to see your face with great desire. And then in verse 18, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul loved these Thessalonians and he wanted to see them desperately. And he mentions it over and over again. And he prays to God that God would do this, that God would bring this about. And some years later, I think it's Acts 21, Paul would go back through Macedonia, but we don't ever have a record of Paul actually making it to Thessalonica. I'm not, we're not sure if he did or not. Second thing in this prayer, though, is you see charity. That's another word for love. We see unity, first of all. And the next thing we see in verse 12 is charity. See if you can note it here. He says, and may the Lord make you increase. As you look at that, notice how he's relying on the Lord. First, he prays to our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And then in verse 12, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. So he's relying on the Lord here. He's not relying on the Thessalonians in this particular case to make this happen. Let's see here. Um, both of these in the first verse, in verse 11 and verse 12, this is in the optative mood. I had to look that up too. That expresses a wish. He's praying here to God in such a way that he is wishing for this to happen to them. He's in this prayer that he has for the Thessalonians. Uh, You see the word increase and you see the the word abound. I hope your translation uh, has that. The idea here with increase is that they would have more love. The idea here with the word abound is that 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 love would be that it would increase and be overflowing. So let me give you two M words if you're taking notes beyond what's on the screen. He wants their love to be more and he wants their love to be moving. Now, it just so happens I have a little uh, demonstration up here for you guys, so maybe the, you can you can remember this. So I've got water here. We're going to act like this is God's love, even though this is not a good representation of God's love. This is the Thessalonians, and the he wants the love to abound. No, he wants it to increase. So this is the increasing part. All right. So he wants it to increase to full. He wants it to get all the way full, but he doesn't want it to stop there because he wants that love to to continue to abound. So what does it do? It begins to move out. It moves to one another. And that's what's happening. I don't know if you can see it, but the water's flowing over the side of this cup that I have here. So in essence, this water is increasing and it is abounding. He wants the love that the, that the Thessalonians have to increase and to abound. And as it's abounding, it's abounding to one another, to one another in the church, but it's also abounding to all. And then he says, just as we do to you. The thing about the Apostle Paul is 
the reason the Gent, the uh, Thessalonians or any of the Gentiles were hearing the gospel in the way that they were was because Paul, motivated by the love of Christ, the love of Christ compels us, he said in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, he did not look at the flesh of people, but he preached the gospel to them that through that gospel they might be saved, that Christ died for their sins was buried and rose again on the third day. And really, we are a representation of that as well because love has abounded to us in some way through the gospel so that we have had our lives impacted by it. So he's praying for charity for them, for the love of God for the and to uh, increase and abound in their lives. In First uh, John, if you want to write down a cross-reference, First John chapter 3, I'd like to read this to go along with this particular point. First John 3 verse 16 and follow says, By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And we would see as well, you might write down as a cross-reference, Philippians 1, 9. Here he prayed for the church in Philippi, and he prayed for them. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Philippians 1 9. So we see unity, we see charity, and the third thing that we see is sanctity, a holiness. That's what sanctity means. It means a state or quality of being holy, sacred, or saintly, says the an English dictionary. Verse 13, he says, So that he may establish your hearts. You notice in all three of these, he's relying again upon. God on the Lord. He wants the Lord to establish their hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. I'll remind you that every chapter in First Thessalonians ends with a reference to the coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to go back and visit those when we get to 13 through 18 in First Thessalonians 4. But this is the parousia. The word parousia is a compound word that means to be present. This is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ bodily being present in His return. And here He wants the Thessalonians to be there on that day blameless in holiness in Jude chapter Jude chapter 1 verse 24 now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy 
Man, I think about that day sometimes and think that I'll, it will be a humdrum, sad day because of how guilty I might feel. But then I read passages like this and think about on that day we will stand before Him with exceeding joy, not because of how great we are, but because He is able to present us to Himself that way one day. And that is a joyous thought to think. As uh, we work through this, I want to show you some references. You might write these down. I put them on the screen so we can move quick, quickly through them. Ephesians 1, 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Colossians 1, 22. He says, In the body of His flesh through death to, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. In 2 Peter 3:14, therefore beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and and blameless. And then in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14, he says pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In the last two references that I gave you, it gives more of an emphasis on the importance of the church, of us pursuing these things, seeking to be found this way. In the first two, we see that this is God's plan before the foundation of the world. And it is what He will do through the sanctifying and saving work of Jesus. So, does that make sense? Final holiness. Perfecting faith is leading to final holiness. And Paul is seeking that in prayer for the Thessalonians. Let's go to our let's go to our next point, gradual holiness. In verses one through eight, gradual holiness. What is gradual holiness? Have y'all ever heard of the word sanctification? Sanctification is a gradual holiness. None of us have arrived yet. None of us have a faith that is perfected yet. We're all on that journey. Uh, We haven't gotten there. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. How does it go? There really ought to be a sign up on my heart. Don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part, but I'll be perfect according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hand. Church, I'd like to encourage you. We ought not really ever let come out of our mouths. Well, I'm not perfect. Duh. None of us are. All right. None of us have gotten there. What we ought to say is I haven't reached perfection Yet, but he is still working on me. We're going to get there by the grace of God and by his mercy in our lives. It's a shame. I bet a lot of people don't even know that song. Did do y'all know that song that I just sang? Yoder. No, I didn't sing it, thankfully, but I did try to quote it. Uh, first point, sanctification is expected. You see it in verses one and two. Finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus, that you should abound more and more. All right, he wants them increasing 
moving more and more. Just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through our Lord Jesus. The word commandments here, I'm told, I believe Warren Wearsby said that the word that's used for a commandment here is a word that means a command that's handed down from a superior. It's a military term. refers to orders handed down from a superior officer. And Paul is saying here that he uh, had given them commands through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did that command have to do with? It had to do with them walking in love, walking in holiness, and pleasing God. Um, brothers and sisters, I'll remind you with this, as I've reminded you uh, previously from chapter 2, that we must be a people who are seeking to please the Lord, to walk and to please God. There's many times in our uh, minds and in our lives where we can uh, use things such as our Christian liberty and say, well, I can do this or I can do that because I'm free in Christ. But we must always be looking at our lives and examining our lives, saying, am I walking and pleasing God? What can happen to us many times in those respects where we say uh, Christian liberty or whatever, that we are in that really seeking to please ourselves, perhaps, when we ought to be called to please the Lord. And we need to be reminded to please the Lord and walk in such a way so as to please Him. So we, this sanctification is something that is expected, urge and exhort. But we also see that it is explicit. It's explicit. In verse 3, he said, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, what do you not understand about this is the will of God? Paul makes it very clear here that this is it. At least this is part of it. And in this case, the will of God for them is your sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? Graduate, thank you. Whew, that's close. Gradual holiness. What is sanctification? It is a gradual holiness. God has not called us to uncleanness, verse 7, but He has called us in holiness. He's called us in sanctification. So, sanctification is something that is explicit. He's not given any doubt about that. We should not remain where we were when we were saved. When God justified us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that ought to make a difference in our lives so that we are progressing in holiness, being conformed to the image of God's Son. So it's uh, explicit. Y'all see that there in that verse, right? That's pretty clear. Let's look at the next point. This sanctification is explained. So he explains it here. And in explaining it here, he gives he, he gets into something pretty specific. So we can conclude that the Thessalonians were dealing with this, that this was an issue in their culture. And that's not far-fetched because this is an issue in our culture. And this is an issue in any culture. 
Let's see what it is. This is going to be three points to this. And I'll give you three letters. A-C-C. All right? A-C-C. The first one is abstinence. Look at verse uh, 3. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. The word for sexual immorality here is the word pornea. And it, it means it can be translated fornication, sexual immorality. It is sexual sin of a general kind that includes many different behaviors. So it doesn't necessarily mean one specific thing, but it can be many things that are sexually immoral. They are not sexually right according to God's design. So that's the first sub-point, abstinence, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. The second sub-point, you could write a phrase, control of self. Control of self. And that's in verse 4 where he says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, real quickly, I'll tell you that there is, uh, if you open up four commentaries and you read four different commentaries on this, two of them will probably say that this vessel that he talks about here, your own vessel, two of those commentaries may interpret this to say that it means a man keeping his wife. That his own vessel, the vessel there is referring to his wife. And uh, to think about that, First Peter chapter 3 um, calls uh, the wife the weaker vessel. Okay? That's how some commentators would interpret that. Others may interpret this own vessel, meaning one's own body. And there are places in the New Testament, we, we see, and Paul said in the writing to the Corinthians, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So we have this treasure in clay pots. And that's talking about our own bodies. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, a vessel fit for the master's use would be talking about individual members in the church. The path that I'm taking with this is talking about a person's own body. And the reason I would take that is because it would seem more appropriate that Paul is not writing just to men. Because when he's writing to the, in particular, that's one reason. When he writes to the church, he writes to the entire church, unless he calls out a specific group. You think about the church in Ephesus, there were women there. The church in Colossae, there were women there. The church in Rome, there were women there. So the churches had women within them. And when he's writing uh, to the church, the things that are said apply to all unless a group is specifically mentioned. Now, um, let's dig into this a little bit. Uh, He gives this point of sanctification here that each one should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, I'm going to go back here to my little glass uh, that's full of water and overflowing. I'm going to try to put that back in here, actually. Okay, now, I'm going to take my glass and drying it off. Let's say this is the only glass I have. This is the only cup I have. And 
Um, I this is the only one that I have to 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 use, and I've got a drink out of this and everything. So if I've got a drink out of this glass, would I use this glass for just anything? Would I go out and scoop potting soil out with this and put it wherever, whoops, put it wherever people put potting soil, move that around? Would I put gasoline in this and throw it on a wall's nest? Would I, would I be careless with this glass? Would I play catch with it with one of my children and throw it back and forth and goof off? That wouldn't make sense, would it, to take this glass, this vessel, and treat it in a way that doesn't honor it or in a way that doesn't protect it. Paul here is using this idea of one keeping his own vessel, and it's keeping your vessel, your body, in holiness or in sanctification and in honor. So you're not treating your body or even, we'll see in the next verse, someone else's body in an immoral or ungodly way. We're to treat ourselves and others in sanctification and honor. Okay, let's go to the the third sub-point here. The third sub-point is care for others or care for the brethren. You see this in verse five, verse six, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. Now, this is a tough verse, and this is one I've often read and wondered what exactly does that mean and how would that work itself out? In the church, let's. Um, I, I don't know that I've come to a full conclusion on what this means, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this after the message if you've got great insight on this. But let's think of it in two respects. Like in Hebrews, uh, the Bible says that fornicators and adulterers God will judge. So let's take those two acts of sexual immorality. Fornication is sexual relationship with someone outside of marriage. Um, uh, adultery is treating another person's spouse as though they are your own in sexual relationship. All right? So if there is fornication that occurs before marriage, which is what fornication is, sex before marriage, then you are taking advantage of or defrauding another person and that individual who might be married one day. That person will likely marry someone else one day. And you have taken advantage of and defrauded those individuals for your selfishness. The second thing, adultery, is pretty clear. If you have a relationship with another person's spouse, then you are committing adultery. And in doing that, you are taking advantage of and defrauding those individuals. Let me give you all definitions of that. Defraud means to exploit, to take advantage of, to get the better of. The word advantage means to sin against, to transgress against, or to wrong. So you are wronging and you are getting the better of another person if 
you engage in those sexual sins. Maybe that'll make sense. Y'all, y'all, y'all give me insight on that when afterwards, if you've got a lot better um, understanding of that. But notice the last part of this verse as we wrap things up for today. In verse 6, he says that the Lord is the avenger of all such. Hebrews 10, verse 30 through 31 says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 25, and I'll read 23 through 25. He says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Now, please notice verse 25. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. You see, there are consequences to our sin. Yes, even for those who are in Christ. David, did he have consequences for his sin with Bathsheba? He sure did. God forgave him, but God brought consequences upon him. Because of his sin. The Lord is the avenger. And the fact that the Lord is the avenger, brothers and sisters, ought to drive us to seek to live in a holy way in this area of sexual immorality and sexual sin. Let's look at the last part and we'll be done. Sanctification is exceptional. Sanctification is exceptional. Oh, that means, oh, a person who's... Being sanctified is an exceptional person in the church. Now, that's not what I mean. But what it means is for all of us, we are exceptional because of two reasons. The first reason is in verse 7, because of God's call. God has called us to uncleanness. Not to uncleanness, but in holiness. And then the second reason is because of God's gift in verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. See, it's exceptional because we're a people who've been called to holiness by God. And we are a people who've been given the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as the scripture says, we ought to be Striving to be holy in all of our conduct because the Lord our God is holy. Does that make sense? All right, let's be done there. Father, I thank you for your word today and for the gospel of Jesus that saves us, for the gospel of Jesus that through that gospel you call us to yourself. And Father, you even give us your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you today that we are able to be forgiven for our sins, even sins of sexual immorality, sins of not loving one another, and 
all the things that we could pull out of this text. Thank you, Father, that we are able to be forgiven of those and you do forgive us. But Lord, I pray that 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 would never be a license for us to sin. Please, Lord, let your grace not be a license for us to sin, but I pray that it would be motivating to us to live holy because that's who you are and that's who you've called us to be. Lord, I pray today that the gospel that has saved many here and gives us this great hope and final holiness that we will have one day. Lord, if it's never been received by anybody, I pray they'll see their need for it today and turn to you in faith and repentance. But bless your word, Lord, please, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.